Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Mark Thompson. Get woke. God bless you. Get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go down to Florida and chat with a candidate running for re-election for the state house in the state house in Florida, House District 47. She has been endorsed by Emily's List. And this is in keeping with our theme, everyone. We've been saying to everyone, we've got to vote from the top of the ballot all the way down. And these state house elections are going to be very, very important. It's census year. We're talking about redistricting. Um, we really have got to get everybody engaged at every level. And frankly, as I've always said, when it even comes to state and local elections, we're in this moment of of police matters, police are governed at the state and local level, y'all, not at the White House. So let's be, I don't think a lot of people get that. So local and state elections are very important. All right, that's my sermon for the moment. We want to introduce you to our candidate, and I know she agrees with me. She is Representative Anna Escamani from Florida. How are you, Anna? I'm I'm hanging in there, Mark, and I I, I want to say thank you for those opening comments because I could not agree with you more. You know, we often give so much attention, and rightly so, to our national leaders and to the national debate. But when we're talking about cases like police brutality, when we're talking about poverty, when we're talking about um, uh, public education, you know, all those decisions have such huge repercussions, and they're happening at a local level. Well, you know, Anna. When I'm talking to a lot of young people, even you know, I have to remind them, you're not going to reform the police on Twitter, right? You know, I mean, you, you gotta, and I've even said some. Some of you might have to may even decide at some point in your life to run for elected office. And I'm sure, like you, you hear from people, 
oh, I'm getting ready to run for U.S. Senate. I'm like, oh, uh, no. <laughs> Maybe that's not the first thing you do. Uh, right, right, right. <laughs> some, folks, some folks, it's they, 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 they make it at that level, but it is not, it is the exception, not the rule, right? I think for most most elected officials, including young people, we start local and then we, we build a network to then run for something statewide. But uh, I, I'm with you on that. I always encourage folks, you know, think about your neighborhood. That's what right. would be something at your neighborhood level that, that you can impact, that you could run for, and, and, and don't feel like that isn't good enough because the, the impact is huge. Well, and, and we can even talk about schools. I mean, Washington... The Department of Education does not affect the local school systems. Right. Um, boards of elections and secretary of state, all of, all of that is right there where you are. So you are where it's happening. Um, but let, let's do this. First of all, let me just ask this. I ask everyone, how are you and your loved ones handling COVID? Is everybody uh, helping? Or? Thanks to that, Mark. I always, I, I always think about you know, where, where is someone's head and their heart? Because they're often in two different places sometimes, right? And so um, my, my heart, my, my heart is, is heavy but full and, and my mind is, is full of chaos, but also focused. I mean, we are, we are in the middle of, of three different major crises, an economic crisis, a health crisis, and of course, one around racial injustice and an uprising against racial injustice. And I think for the, the strongest leaders that we have, we'll run towards each of these issues versus run away from them. And that's what we've been doing. And so it's, it's been overwhelming, but um, I'm not one to complain. You know, this is, this is work that I'm honored to do. Um, I will say for my family, you know, we're, we're, we're first-generation immigrants, my sister and I, my brother, and my brother lives in Miami, about four hours away from me. My sister and I live together, so I'm blessed to have family close that's, you know, really important to me, but I will say that um, my grandmother actually passed away during this pandemic, and it wasn't due to COVID-19, it was um, cancer that she had, but I will say that, you know, navigating any type of grief during COVID-19 is very challenging. We can't have you know, the, the, the type of gatherings so many families want to have, right? So it it has been challenging on, on multiple levels, but I find a, a lot of hope in the people of Florida and I just have a lot of grit and grace and I, I credit it to my, my own personal angel, who is my mom, who passed away when I was 13. And so she she always, you know, is is with me in, in different ways. I know that for sure. Yeah, no, that that's, that's a blessing. So your grandmother, were you able to even be around her while she was ill? So in the hospital setting, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the hospital setting, we couldn't, you know, our, here in Florida, we, we have restrictions still in the hospitals. So one restrictions we still have candidly because our governor has just let a lot of things loose. And so in the hospital setting, it can only be one person um, and you can't switch out. So that one person is the, you know, the, the, the partner throughout all of it. Um, when she was um, moved to hospice, then we were able to at least be close to her. Um, and so, um, you know, that, that was definitely a blessing uh, um, to be in that space. But it, it, is, it is very difficult. And my, my grandmother was actually um, devoutly Muslim. And so we were able to identify um, a Shia mosque here in Central Florida that was amazing to work with and very gentle um, you know, with, 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 
the, the, with all the navigation of COVID-19 and also just grief. And we were very, very fortunate, yeah, to have a, a, a ceremony she would have wanted. But it's, it's tough. You know, my heart hurts um, for all the people that we've lost to this pandemic, lost during this pandemic. I mean, a lot of it was preventable, too. And so it definitely is a, a, a very difficult time for Floridians and for folks of, of, every, of every state. Now, District 47, tell me, tell us geographically where that is and city-wise. I love to. So we're, we're the heart of Orange County here in Central Florida. So for folks who've ever come to the theme parks and things like that, um, we're, we're, we're about 30 minutes east of that. You know, we, we don't have the theme parks in our district. We're, we're more of the um, Orlandonians, if you will. So we're in downtown Orlando, Winter Park, Belle Isle. This seat was drawn to be a swing seat. So it was meant to be um, leaning Republican, and we actually flipped it in 2018. And so it's, it's, it was a major, a major win for us, and we won by over 11,000 votes. And it was a lot of, it was all hustle. We knocked on 40,000 doors. Uh, we really built a coalition that was reflective of our community and diverse and, and party and diverse in age and, and cultural identities. Um, and so it, it really is, an incredible place to call home because it's such a mix of income. It's a mix of experiences. We have um, suburban communities. We have the city downtown environment, um, and we have work, working class folks, just like we have really wealthy folks. So it's it's a really interesting reflection of our state. Okay, well, well that's good. What what made you decide to take to take this on? I mean, I'm encouraging people to do what you did, but what made you decide to to jump into the fray? Two years ago, uh, well, your first was this your first election? Yes. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah, my first one. I was um, very, very nervous about it. You just just the idea of running for office was very nervous, a, a nervous concept for me to embrace. And I, I think for many young people, many women, especially many people of color, the decision to run for office is one really grounded in in a personal experience and a in a and a deeply rooted commitment to community. And in our case, for my family, I mentioned earlier, you know, we're immigrants. My parents came from Iran. Um, they actually came from different parts of Iran and met in Orlando and called this community home. And we grew up more in the east side of town, so definitely more working class, very diverse, um, went to public schools, K through 12. And um, as I mentioned earlier, my mother had her own battle with cancer that she didn't win. And so um, my, my aspiration to run for office and my commitment to service is really grounded in those personal experiences of struggle. Um, but, but President Trump was a catalyst, you know, watching, because I was, I was involved as, a, as an organizer. You know, I, I first got into organizing at my university, University of Central Florida. And so I was an organizer for environmental issues, for human rights in Iran. I eventually met the college Democrats, got really involved on local issues and, and just volunteering with the community and organizing around student-based issues and women's rights. Um, and uh, found myself uh, volunteering at Planned Parenthood, the nation's leading provider of reproductive health and education and advocacy, and was hired there uh, shortly before I graduated. So I worked at Planned Parenthood for about six years, eventually becoming the senior director of public affairs and communications for our 22 county service area. So I was, I was definitely involved in politics and advocacy, but I was always behind the scenes. And um, 
wasn't until President Trump won that I just felt like if, if more everyday people didn't run for office, we would get the same old, same old type of candidates. And I don't just mean Republican candidates. I mean, Democrats, too. You know, yeah. We would get corporate Democrats. We would get Democrats that you know, they, they, they might have um, name ID because maybe their family ran for office or they have their self, their, their, their wealthy. So they felt they self fund themselves. But those aren't candidates that, that, that really come from the grassroots. Those aren't candidates that, that know what it's like to not be able to pay a bill on time or live in a hotel for months. And so I, I really felt compelled to redefine what it means to be a Democrat just as much as what it means to be a public servant. Um, well, congratulations on your, your first win, and now you're running free election, correct? Yes, I am. What are some of the issues that the residents of your district are most concerned about? Well, before the pandemic, well, I should say some of the issues have remained the same before pandemic and during pandemic, in particular, affordable housing. Uh, wages, you know, Florida has one of the lowest minimum wages in the country at $8.25. Um, we have an affordable housing crisis here in Central Florida with, with many families in the tourism economy living in hotels and motels because they can't get a lease. Um, evictions are on their records, so it's even harder to find a place to live. And so that's always been a constant theme for us. And and of course, many of these issues also lie along uh, racial disparities, and you see it even even, even more deeply amplified during this pandemic. Um, and so affordable housing tied to wages, um, tied to uh, healthcare access, also tied to um, um, a larger conversation on, on, on race. These are all issues that have been very constant in our community. Um, we also have a community that is very committed to sustainability when it comes to our environment. Um, this is home to solar co-ops and home to some really strong renewable energy advocates. And, I, and I'm proud to say that I don't take one penny from utility companies, um, from big sugar or ag agricultural industries, the tourism industry. You know, these are groups that um, I refuse to accept a penny from because they really have set the state's political agenda in a direction for their bottom line versus the health of our state and its people. So, but I, but, but I will say that during this pandemic, Mark, a lot of people's eyes are just on COVID-19. I mean, that's where, where folks, uh, when we not, when we, when we were doing phone banking or text banking, you know, doing virtual events, a lot of the conversation is the reopening of schools, um, uh, testing data, transparency of testing, um, jobs, unemployment. The unemployment system has been a wreck here, and we've been a part of part of trying to fix that too. So a lot of people's minds are just on COVID. Well, and that's the other thing too, because we talk about state and local functions, the unemployment offices, and what that is at the state level too. You if, got it. So yeah. if the state isn't up to speed, and, and Lord knows most of these states aren't at the technological place where they should. So right. If, right. If the state thing isn't together, then the unemployment situation is jammed up too. How bad is the unemployment in your district? And I guess that would include a lot of the tourism industry. So do a lot of people live in your district work in those parks and the tourism? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Are those places still closed? Like, is are, are Disneyland and those places still closed? Okay. So, uh, such great questions. Uh, the theme parks. So here's the thing about the theme parks in Florida. Um, 
our governor never told them to close. They decided on their own to close. And, and, and as a result, they, they pretty much decided when they wanted to open to. And so there really wasn't, and it's, and it's a large part to their political power. I mean, these theme parks, they give a lot of money to a lot of candidates um, at a local county level, city level, and state and federal. And so that all the theme parks are open. They're not operational at the same levels though. So much of their employees and cast members are not back at work. And we are seeing furloughs turn into layoffs. Um, Orange Osceola counties are really where the, the theme park you know, community is. So it's my county and then Osceola next door. Um, and the unemployment rate for our two counties have been some of the highest statewide, um, it maintaining um, uh, double digits for, for weeks now, not, not going down, you know, really staying uh, at the same level or even going up a little bit. So it is, it's, it's been disastrous and you're absolutely right on just the technology. And what kills me is that, you know, if these were system, when, 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 when government is implementing systems that poor people use, they could care less about its efficiency. Um, if anything, they make it even harder to navigate any system where an every, you know, a, uh, a middle income or high income person uses, those are typically much more efficient. And you just see it in this situation where um, um, our unemployment system was was built to not work, it was built this way. It's not broken. It's doing exactly what it was supposed to do. And it has led to millions of Floridians suffering at the hands of the Department of Economic Opportunity. And our caseload of unemployment claims is upwards of 18,000 people that we've helped. And it's just, Unbelievable, but that a legislative office with a staff of two, not counting me, you know, have, have, have carried this caseload um, because the executive branch completely failed us. So you all are picking up the slack for what the executive branch and its unemployment agency is not doing. And, yes, sir. And so I presume that other state legislators who choose to be like you are having to do the same thing. I, I take it, correct? Correct. Correct. I mean, it, I have no doubt that this will be an election issue just because of how damaging it's been for people's everyday experiences. Um, and other lawmakers have stepped up in similar ways. Um, we've also given up my, my state salary. So as a state lawmaker, we're, we're a part-time legislature. So our, our salary is about $28,000 annually. And I do work another full-time job to really pay my bills because I don't have any children, but um, so I, I don't have too many expenses, but 28,000 is not enough to survive on in, in any state. And so um, I'm, I'm blessed in the sense that um, I, can, I can actually give up that salary. So I, I've used that, that little extra cash that I've had to pay for people's hotel rooms, um, to make sure folks have um, money to make rent, to pay for utilities, direct cash assistance, you know, for, for medicine. And we've also raised money to give out in that way too. So we've been trying our best to also not only respond to the unemployment system and get folks their benefits, but to, to, to identify those really urgent cases and try to help however we can. I mean, unfortunately, those resources are not unlimited. Um, so we can't, we can't keep giving folks, you know, direct cash assistance forever, but we try really hard to get them connected to nonprofits that can help more long term while giving them some relief for whatever you know period of time we can. Amazing. Well, well you should be commended for that. And what about um, mental school? 
So what's the school situation? Have schools reopened? Are people back in school? Or what is the situation with schools? Yeah, it is really, really tough here in Florida. So our governor and commissioner of education, again, talking about the importance of your local state politics, um, Governor Ron DeSantis and the commissioner of education, Richard Corcoran, who used to be speaker of the house. So he really is a politician as well. Um, they forced every school district to, to open brick and mortar within August. Doesn't matter what your positivity rates are. Um, you have to have a brick and mortar option available by by some some time in August. And so, money was threatened. You know, if school districts disobeyed, if your local county health department director advised against that, it was supposed to provide you with the option to opt out. But we heard, we learned later that county health department directors were actually advised by the state department of health not to say anything. And so ultimately at this point, you know, every school district is offering um, a brick and mortar. They're, they're offering virtual options as well. Um, but it's been incredibly stressful for parents, students, and teachers and teachers have sued. Our teachers unions have filed lawsuits, right? So it's still being tossed in the courts right now. Um, but it's, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. And, you know, for, for my lens, for my lens, I totally empathize with situations where, you know, we have kids living in situations with no Wi-Fi. We have kids living in situations where, um, they don't have a, a room to their own because they're in a hotel scenario or they're at a homeless shelter. Um, and so, you know, there, there definitely is, is a, a very important discussion to be had about access just when it comes to different learning environments, students with disabilities, you know, these are students that, that they really need the one-to-one one-to-one ratio and they can't always find that in their, in their household. So, so I, I think those are, are really important localized conversations to have. Instead, what Florida did was just kind of put the hand down statewide and it would have been so much better to let local school districts with families, with teachers, make these decisions collectively on, on a local data versus what Florida ended up doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what is the, what's the COVID situation now there? Are, are you all seeing an uptick or have things tapered off or? or things are, you know, things are, are, in Orange County especially, we're seeing a decline in positivity rates. Um, I'm, I'm very hopeful, but I'll tell you what scares me is the reopening of schools. What scares me is, is the governor uh, pushing in-state travel for an effort to boost tourism and using co state paid commercials where no one is wearing a mask. <laughs> and we don't have a statewide mask mandate here either. And so it's, it's very frustrating because, you know, A, I feel like we opened up too early. So where we are today and the deaths that have happened in Florida could have been substantially decreased if we just took our time. And now we're potentially at risk of seeing another peak because of these decisions being made recently. Um, and so I, I'm always hopeful. I'm always optimistic. Our hospital levels have, have remained in a sense, you know, in a, in a sense stable in the fact that we haven't hit a point where we have to you know, open up new beds and things like that. We've been very lucky in that regard, but um, it, it definitely is, is nerve wracking. And I'll tell you this too, Mark, our prisons are out of control. Mm. Our prison systems have seen major COVID outbreaks, too many incarcerated individuals dying when they never should have died. 
And, and that has been a complete failure of our government for never considering compassionate releases or depopulation efforts. Um, and so we, we have prisons that are just filled with COVID-19 and no way to social distance. And so that's been a, a deep stain in, in part of Florida's response, one that, one that is ignored by our governor that for advocates, you know, we're not going to overlook. Can the legislature intervene in some of these situations? Can you all do some? First of all, when are you all in session? That's the thing. We so we so I mentioned earlier we're a part-time legislature. Right. So we just convened session in March. So our 2020 session ended as COVID was beginning. And one of the first things that we did as, as the Democratic Caucus, we requested a special session and we, we collected enough signatures to force a vote and every Republican member voted no. And at this rate, we're not back in session until March of 2021. Committee weeks will start probably in January, but we're not actually in session until March. And so as lawmakers, we are incredibly limited in what we can do. We, we, we don't have a special session. I, I, have, I have had to focus on just advocacy and pressure on the executive branch. And under the current state of emergency, our governor does have huge executive order authority that he selectively uses. And so we've been putting a lot of pressure on, you know, on, on executive orders and also working with the county on different initiatives in our city. But candidly, it, it's been very difficult because so many folks contact us you know, asking us to, to allocate funding or to, or to pass a bill. And we literally can't do it because we're not in session right now. Forgive me for not knowing this. I don't remember. Is, is the legislature majority Republican right now still is okay. How big of a majority? How, what's the, it's, it's, it's a pretty big in the house. So out of 120 house members, there are only 47 Democrats. And then on the Senate side, it's a difference of of about uh, four members. So out of 40, there's, there's still, you know, that breakdown. So it's, 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 it's pretty difficult to, to, to push, you know, on these type of issues. The Senate, can find more common ground than the House does, but if every Democrat didn't show up to work in the House, they would still have a quorum. <laughs> That's how bad it is. <laughs> Back to the prisons. What's the status of, of former incarcerated and former federal? That's been a big back and forth fight. Yep, yep. And I'm at four. On, on that right now. Well, we have been, um, you know, huge advocates of Amendment 4. Um, Desna Mead is a good friend of mine. And, and criminal legal system reforms have been one of my biggest issues um, for the last two years in the legislature, ending the school to prison pipeline. I have visited prisons throughout Florida. Um, as a state lawmaker, I can visit prisons unannounced. And we've been doing just that, working with families of the incarcerated. Um, and Amendment 4 was such an incredible victory for us as a state. But as many folks know, the legislature in my first session intervened. And uh, after hours of debate, you know, the Republican majority passed a bill that the governor signed to require that all fees and fines be paid before you can have your rights restored. So this issue is still being litigated. It is still in court. There has not been an ending to the court battle. Meanwhile, Desmond Mead and Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, alongside partners, um, have raised money 
in an effort to pay for fees and fines. And there, there's already been two different instances of us doing uh, community literature drops and phone banking where we've connected with formerly incarcerated folks and we are ensuring that they get they, that they get into contact with Florida Rights Restoration Coalition to try to pay off what they owe. So unfortunately, that's like the only route right now. And, and we also know that, you know, Florida has such an archaic um, system of just data collection on this issue where every clerk or court has a different system to keep track of what you owe. So there's also just a lot of challenges in identifying for a returning citizen, you know, what are the barriers that, that, that they need to meet before they get that right back. So it very much is a voter suppression tactic. It's, it's designed to delay a person's ability to vote. Um, and we are, we, are, we are navigating that every single day right now. And so obviously that won't necessarily be resolved before November, will it, in the court with Definitely not. And that's exactly what, what the intention was of the Republican majority was just a delay, delay, delay as much as they can. Um, what's, is Florida made for efficient mail-in? <laughs> I'm scared to have. Oh my God. I know. I know. I actually, I was just having a conversation about this with the Orange County tax collector because um, he's already seeing issues with basic things like, you know, tag, car tags being mailed, you know, to Floridians. And so we're definitely very concerned about, about the post office's ability to meet this demand. We are encouraging every voter, if they're going to, you know, to, to sign up for vote by mail, because it is still the safest way to vote, right? But to consider dropping off your ballot versus mailing it. And as soon as you get it to to fill it out and to return it and to track it. So we really are working to empower Floridians to be their best advocate. The Orlando Magic, um, you know, our basketball team here just announced that their, their arena would be an early voting location, which would make it the largest early voting location in Orange County where social distancing would be very easy. So I, I just want to make sure we're securing free parking too. But I, I do think that that's going to be very common to see some of our um, athletic uh, um, venues also be used as voting sites so that there can be as much space as possible. When does early voting start? Uh, for us, it'll start in, in October. But remember, vote-by-mail ballots will drop um, in just a few weeks. So <laughs> really, elections are, are going to start in September this year. And so I do think it puts a lot of pressure on um, on all of us that care about democracy to make sure that we are activating people as we can, um, getting as many new voters registered as possible. Um, I definitely encourage everyone who's tuning in, like check on your ballot status, you know, see, see if you're registered to vote and your current address and make sure you're up to date. Put the pressure on early folks. Don't wait until November 3rd. I mean, absolutely. This this is an early pressure that will save you from the later pressure. So so that needs to then is very important. So can you call Florida for us? What's going to happen? Can Biden Harris win Florida? <laughs> Mark, I I certainly hope so. I mean, we're working really hard, and and I I do believe in up ballot voting versus down ballot voting, and by that I mean. If we can engage at a neighborhood level, folks that come out to vote for their state house candidates or state senate candidates, 
uh, um, um, their county races. And when they go and vote for someone like me, they're going to check off Democrat as they're looking at their ballot and they'll vote for other candidates before my name pops up. And so I, I really do emphasize um, the importance of investing in local races as helping get out the vote. But anything is possible. I mean, even in my district that we flipped, I do have Trump supporters here, right? And it's fascinating. It's always fascinating. And so um, I well, just- Who support you? Yeah, actually, there there are there are folks that have a Trump yard sign and 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 my yard sign too. It's wild, and I and I think it's like this, you know, potential like opposition to status quo. Though I would argue that President Trump is very status quo, right? Like he he's not really he said he'll drain the swamp, and he is the swamp. Um, but uh, there are those who also just, you know, do not like me and love Trump. I think that's probably more common, honestly. <laughs> but but I, I say that because, you know, we can't take anything for granted. And I'm a firm believer in, in transformational politics. And by that, I mean, for a very long time, Democrats included are transactional. This notion of you know, I'll do this for you if you do this for me, or I only show up during election season. I don't show up any other time. And I, I think it's so important that that we, we we toss that approach out the door because as especially as Democrats, we need to show up even when it's even when we get nothing out of it, right? Like you just when it's right, you show up. So even if you're not on the microphone, you show up. Even if your name isn't on the ballot, you show up. And and we've been doing that for, you know, since my first campaign. But it, it, it definitely, it, it's a reflection of how, like, we know that people over time learn their own efficacy. They, they learn their political power. And I feel really, really lucky because the folks that come out for us, many are first-time volunteers, first-time voters. Um, they're bringing their parents with them. They're bringing their kids with them. And, and that's the type of energy we need to flip Florida. And, and, and I, I, I definitely am worried about, about, how Florida will will do statewide, but just know that we are we are very committed here in Central Florida to not take anything for granted and to work as hard as we can to make sure this floor this this state flips blue. Congratulations on Emily's list endorsement. What's what's the women electorate like in your district, and really for that matter, Florida overall? Uh, incredibly diverse, incredibly passionate, and, and and very informed. I think that, especially during this pandemic, you know, many women are moms, many women are teachers, many women um, are essential workers. And so I think more than ever, women are beginning to realize every day that the personal is political, and, and they are they are absolutely plugged in. And I know that some of our most passionate supporters um, do identify as women, and I have no doubt it's because um, they they see they see our 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 our, our initiatives and our issues as as theirs as well. There's a, a deep connection there. And but but I'll tell you this, Mark, you can't just assume that women will vote for you because you're a Democrat or because you are a woman. You have to focus on issues that matter to women, which is why 
I am unapologetic when it comes to uh, uh, issues around bodily autonomy and reproductive justice, issues around equal work, equal pay, around domestic violence, sexual violence. Um, um, we are we are very bold, unapologetic on issues of gun violence. Pulse nightclub is in my district, and so um, issues of community safety are really important to me. And and just like you know, when we profess Black Lives Matter, it's it's, it's not just situations of police brutality. We're also thinking about maternal mortality rates, especially among Black women. And so um, we work really hard to make sure that we're, we're also championing the issues that, that, that everyday people care about. Um, and, and many of those issues are ones that are, are personally impactful to women and girls. And what, uh, Anna, about uh, this moment of racial reckoning, how much of that is, is discussed and how much of that is an issue in your district? It's essentially important. I mean, our district is actually about 80% white. So this district is, um, is, is, is diverse, but it's predominantly a, a very established community of folks that call Orlando home. Generations of Orlandonians you know, live here. Pioneers live here. And so, um, but at the same time, these are folks that are, are, are very empathetic and, and thoughtful. And the Black Lives Matter movement in particular has found a really happy and healthy home here. Um, there's been a great deal of advocacy with the Orlando Police Department, um, a great deal of advocacy with the Sheriff's Department. Um, we just elected a, a progressive um, state attorney in Monique Worrell in our circuit. I was one of the first elected officials to endorse her. And um, she won overwhelmingly. So, we're, so, so this is a community that cares about justice. Um, and, and so it is very, very important to us. And, and I have taken, um, uh, you know, a few stances that, um, made some folks unhappy. Right. But, but I, I think that's important. I think it's like, we have to move, move past per performance and towards action. And I have been very direct in stressing that and also intentional as a non-black person of color to step back and to lift up black voices. And that is something that I, I, you know, I have learned over time as an advocate that we have to center the conversation on directly impacted people. Don't make it about you. Make it about folks that are, are directly in that line of, of being targeted, of, of experiencing uh, the issues that we're talking about. And so we've used our whatever platforms we have to amplify Black voices, and we're going to keep doing that. Yeah, no, that's important. Uh, so that, so of course, Val Demings was the police chief one time. So she's, she represents your district in Congress as well. I take a part of, a part of our district. Yeah, she does. She does. We have, we overlap three congressional districts because our seat was so gerrymandered, <laughs> but yeah, she is, she is a part of our district and there's been, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of criticism of her work at OPD. And I, and I think those are really important conversations for us to have. And in addition to, um, Congressman Val Demings. We also have Orlando Mayor Buddy Dyer. We have um, Chief John Mina, who's now Sheriff John Mina. And so there's there's a lot of um, there's been a lot of direct asks of these elected officials, and those are ones that that we, we we are exhibiting solidarity for and and helping to facilitate meetings when requested. And I think it's really important too. Again, we're not here to 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 commandeer. You know, I think these these issues need to be solved at a community level. And we're here to help make sure the community has access when needed. Yeah, that, um, that's a good point.
but but I, 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 I'm Tim. I, well, I want to ask because you mentioned you've taken a couple of stances in that regard that may not have been very popular. I'm curious, what what were they? So one in particular was uh, Orlando put into place a Black Lives Matter mural, which got a lot of various feedback. Um, members of the community liking it. Many members saying that it's performative and it's too soon. We should pass policy first before doing it. Um, and I took the stance of, you know, we need we need action. You know, a, a, it's a good gesture, but we really need action. So that had, especially among the city of Orlando that that put together this mural, there was you know a lot of um, backlash from that um, from from more mo folks mostly at the city level. Um, and but but honestly, I think many of the issues that that we we take a stance on, for example, reallocating funding from police departments to social services, are ones that are overwhelmingly popular. And I think that even uh, conversations about police in our schools is something that we've been talking about for a long time here in Florida. I filed a bill last session to set a statutory uh, limitation on the arrest of minors because we had a six-year-old black girl named Kaya Roll arrested at Orlando Charter School for being a kid. And, and so we filed legislation in her honor, in honor of all the children that are arrested versus an intervention that does not include arrest. Um, and, and, and those conversations have been also reflective of, of Florida increasing police in schools due to school shootings, which I think are other solutions to address school shooting versus having law enforcement as you know, the direct um, preventative nature within the systems. We have to look at mental health counseling, looking at keeping guns out of the hands of children, um, and of course, um, training any officer on crisis intervention, because unfortunately, many of our, our autistic kids get caught in these situations um, of, of being incarcerated versus getting, getting the support they need. Yeah, yeah well, that's very important. And those are all those are all good stances. And there's a lot of debate now about performative versus action. So I can definitely respect that. And every community has got to come to decide what it must do, you know, for that right. community. So it's all on local level. Well, um, are, you need money for your campaign or no? <laughs> good. We always need money. And, and, and I, I mentioned it earlier, but you know, we don't take money from some of the biggest corporations. And so we are, we are uh, driven by the, the generosity of everyday people. And if folks want to learn more about us or get involved, um, our website is just anaforflorida.com, all spelled out with two N's, anaforflorida.com. And you can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at that same handle, anaforflorida. And folks, if you want to make donations, you can go there and do that as well. Find out more about the campaign. Uh, I don't know that this is, I, I'm not sure if this is still the year or the woman, because 2018 was <laughs> the woman. Maybe can we say it's just every year, Mark? The decade of the woman. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I don't have a problem with that at all. Uh, <laughs> um, appreciate uh, you being with us and all the great work you're doing. Good luck with uh, the campaign, continue to do all that you're doing, doing some very, very important work, folks. And again, you've heard it here, um, why uh, state elected officials are important and in many ways more important. There's a lot of things that a White House just can't do. Um, right. I mean, White Houses are fine, but there's only so much they can do and it boils down to the local level. So uh, Anna Escamane is doing a lot of great work down in Florida. We all support her. So Anna, for florida.com go and check it out 
Representative Escamani, it's a pleasure to meet you. Good luck to you. And let's talk again sometime, okay? I would love that. Be safe, all right? Wear a mask. I am. I am. Okay. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.